All right, so we're going to James chapter 3. We're in the middle of this series on James, and we're working verse by verse through it. I'm starting with verse 13, which you can see on the screen. It's a larger chunk uh, than what I'm going to present at the beginning. It's several verses, but I'm just going to break them down. If we had all the time in the world this morning, uh, we might just read through it first, but let's just do it as I've got it on the screens. Let's pray first. Father, your word is eternal, it's very much alive. And it will impact us who will listen. So I pray for ears to hear that we might receive it and your grace to walk in it. Thank you already for what you're going to do by it. In the name of Christ, amen. So James is asking a question in his like fashion. He's always asking questions, isn't he? Always asking us to take a test. And here's the test. Who is wise and understanding among you? Take a look around and ask that question of the people around you because that's really what James is calling us to do. In the church, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, how do you know who they are? It won't be by their words. It won't be by their looks. It will be by his good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So wisdom and understanding are really the art of living well, and James wants us to live well. Uh, it's as if James has just taken the Proverbs and infused them so much in his life that it just comes out in his writing, and Proverbs is a lot about wisdom. God has equipped Meadowbrook and every other Christ-centered church with people filled with wisdom. I'm not talking about just certain people, a handful of people. I'm talking about the church is made up of all people who are granted wisdom by God. If you're saved, you have the wisdom of God within you. You might think of wise people being the older people in the congregation, and that might be true. But if you're saved and the Spirit of God dwells within you, here's what James says, you have wisdom and understanding. Really, the book is written to help us to discover the authenticity of faith. And so he's been giving us a number of, of quizzes along the way. How are you controlling your tongue? If you don't control your tongue, it's because your heart isn't ruled by the Spirit. If your heart's not ruled by the Spirit, then you're not saved. Or how are you with partiality, biasness, racism? How are you doing in those things? Because if you have bias in your life, that means you don't understand the fullness of God's grace given to you, and you may not be saved. You can trail it all the way back to chapter 1. Over and over and over, he is giving us test after test. And in this case, the test is about genuine wisdom. Do you have wisdom? Now, God has given to the church people, filled the church with people who have wisdom and understanding from heaven. And when we... Uh, recognize that then we start to speak that wisdom and that understanding to other people it is essential that we gather together every week now I know that there's a period of time that some people are saying well I'm more eager to be online right now and if that's the case I'm grateful for you for giving us a part of this opportunity to worship but I'm going to tell you there is a deep rootedness in me that wants to be with the faith family I want to be in person with you and I want you to be in person with me because this is not just about what I'm delivering or the music that's being delivered this is about the wisdom of God that has been given to the membership that we might speak that wisdom and understanding into one another 
Anybody confused with the world events that's going on right now? Yeah, me too. So I need wisdom from God, wisdom given to the people of God to be spoken into my life, to be encouraging uh, by God's word coming from you to me, and we need that for each other because it's pretty doggone easy to be confused these days, isn't it? And I think the confusion is we don't know what truth is because when you watch TV, you don't know if that's truth. It's very difficult to get to primary source, isn't it? It's difficult to get to the first generation of the information that's going out. In fact, what we're getting most of the time through TV is businesses that have a bias, and many of them a political persuasion, that they will take the news and envelop it in the way that they want it to be understood, and they deliver it into that way with a lot of emotion infused in it. So you will watch more. The more you watch, the more money they make, and it's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle. So we have a hard time figuring out what truth is. Here's the good news. God has given wisdom and understanding to you and me, the people in the church, not just for the church, but for the entirety of the world. And I want us to understand the fullness of that. Wisdom and understanding. Who among you has wisdom and understanding? Now, wisdom and understanding are partners, aren't they? Uh, there's some distinction, biblical distinction with wisdom and understanding, and I want to show you that just real quickly by definition. Understanding is this God-given ability to translate meaning from facts and knowledge. Now, certainly God knows all things, and you and I are in relationship with God if we are given in faith to Jesus Christ and our life is surrendered unto him. So God gives us the ability to translate from facts and from knowledge, to translate from that the ability to understand, to know those things and then to apply them, to have an understanding of them. So understanding is absolutely essential, but also wisdom and so he says, who has wisdom among you? Wisdom is this careful application of the knowledge to personal living as you walk with Jesus. So it's taking that knowledge, having understanding from the knowledge, and then applying that to our daily living as we are walking with Jesus. Now, what's this big deal about walking with Jesus? Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God that is given to us. So if you and I are going to have wisdom, we're going to walk with Jesus. And as we walk with Jesus, then we will walk with wisdom. It's an amazing combination that God has given to us. I want you to recognize that knowledge is not wisdom. Knowing facts is not wisdom. Charles Spurgeon said it this way in a very direct quote. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. Catch this line. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. If I had a highlighter, I would just highlight that one, wouldn't you? Maybe circle around it, put an asterisk by it. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom so what God has given to the church is wisdom wisdom is a person his name is Jesus wisdom is his word it's forever eternal true and God has given that to us that we might have understanding and wisdom and know how to live now James is cautioning us in this epistle to say don't just take someone's word for it that they are wise and don't even take your own word 
for it that you are wise. You might be thinking, I'm so wise. Or somebody might be proclaiming their wisdom. I've never seen a self-avowed fool on Facebook, have you? But I have certainly seen self-avowed wise people. With all the posts that go out there, the wisdom that just seems to abound on Facebook, everybody wants to be read, and everybody's opinion is true and right according to them. Twitter throws it out there as if it's going to go viral. Blogs are written because people are so smart and claim so much wisdom. I mean, wisdom abounds. I don't know how in the world our world is in such a cataclysmic place right now with such wisdom abounding. How about you? But here's what James is saying. Don't take somebody's word for it that they are wise. Look at their life. That's really how we discover wisdom. What is their life? Look at verse 13 again. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. So I want to just take this verse and just break it down and just mention about three things to you that this is how we identify wise people. It's not by their rhetoric. It's by the life that they live, or in his words, the good conduct. So wise and understanding people live life well, and that living is with good conduct. True wisdom necessitates right living. It's not enough just to have the knowledge how to live well. It's not enough to have the Bible principles and precepts and know them, but wisdom is applying the knowledge and the precepts and living them in our lives. So it is knowledge applied to daily life choices with walking with Jesus. It's choosing to walk with Jesus, having understanding that comes from him, and living life in that way. So wise people are identified by their good conduct. But they're also identified, those who are wise and with understanding, with good works. In fact, wisdom is meant to provoke good works because wisdom is a gift of grace. You don't earn wisdom. You don't achieve wisdom. Wisdom is granted to us, namely first by our, our salvation in Jesus Christ, coming in relationship with wisdom himself and then living out that wisdom relationship to other people. And that means that we recognize wisdom is a gift that God has given to us and gifts are meant to be shared they're not meant to be hoarded. So if you have wisdom from God, God expects you to use that wisdom in good ways for other people. And then people with wisdom and understanding are meek. Uh, a good word translation might be gentle there. We rarely use the word meek. I think it's probably in our culture that we equate uh, meekness with weakness. And that is not the way the Bible defines meekness. In fact, meekness, as described by the Bible, is actually power under control. It's power being submissive to one greater than. And so wisdom is power, but it is meek. It is power under control. Nobody exemplified this more than Jesus. And here's what Jesus, who is altogether powerful, I mean, you can't get more powerful than Jesus, who can step out into nothing and create everything. Nothing was created except by Jesus. You can't get more powerful of a man than Jesus, who walks into the temple and out of fervor for his holy father, makes a whip 
on the spot and then whips every man who is selling their wares in the place where there should be prayer going on and exchanging in monies to the point that they become wealthy and he beats every one of them till they are run out of the court of Gentiles. Why? Because he had fervor for God the Father. I mean, you can't get more strong than that, right? I mean, I don't know anybody more strong than Jesus, but yet Jesus was meek. Jesus was power under submission. I mean, you think about what Jesus said, I don't say anything that I haven't heard the Father say, I don't go anywhere that the Spirit hasn't told me to go, and I don't do anything that I've not watched the Father do. The Father has been at work, and so I am at work. So Jesus was totally powerful, but yet incredibly submissive to the will of the Father to bring about the redemption of mankind. Now Jesus says to us in his own strength, take my yoke upon you. I have learned as I'm working around the house or maybe a little bit on the property, I've learned that if you have some power tools, you can get a whole lot accomplished. And if you have some tractor or some machinery of some kind, you can get even more accomplished. A yoke was the power tool of the ancient world. It was harnessing the brute force of an animal and submitting that brute force so that it could be productive and fruitful. And so Jesus, who is altogether powerful, says, come into my yoke, come alongside of me, and let's use this power that God has established in us, let's use this power to drive forth submissive, to the spirit submissive to the word and submissive to one another take my yoke upon you and learn from me i'm gentle that's the word meek i'm lowly in heart so wisdom true wisdom is evident in all those ways now did anybody hear anything about espousing knowledge? Anybody hear anything about giving advice like your dear Abby? Anybody hear anything like that? No, no. God views things radically different than our culture, doesn't he? So is it evident by your good conduct, your good works, and your submission unto God that you are wise? Is it evident? So blessed are the meek, Jesus says. They will inherit the earth. So Meadowbrook and every Christian church needs to be full of members who are genuinely wise with good understanding from heaven. And that wisdom will be evident in good conduct and in gentleness. That's the sign of authentic Christianity. So this isn't about some people being wise in the church. This is about all of us having wisdom and understanding from God. If you're saved, then God has given you the means to have wisdom and understanding. And what James is asking of us if you don't see genuine wisdom and understanding, are you genuinely saved? Do you have a relationship with wisdom? Now, James also warns in this part of the epistle that there is fake wisdom and there is true wisdom. And he gives us the identities of those. In typical fashion, these are like tests for James. He's wanting us to just verify with the test. Now remember, the people that he's talking about in this letter, the people that he's writing specifically about who might have fake wisdom, these are people that are espousing, if you will, this um, wisdom and knowledge, and they're teachers. Like last week, we were talking about the passage just before. If anybody's teaching, you ought to recognize there's a stricter judgment, he says. So he's kind of carrying that same thought in. 
They might be proclaiming to be wise, but is the wisdom genuine? Isn't it from God? Now, if we go through the rest of the text, which we will, you're going to see in two categories. Here's fake wisdom, and here's genuine wisdom. Now, let's talk about the fake first. I'm going to move through it fairly quickly, so you need to uh, listen intently. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So you can see from this fake wisdom, first comes a sinful motive of that wisdom that is not of God. And the sinful motive is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Those are the motives for those who, who appear to be wise but are not genuine salvation really changes our heart doesn't it when we are saved God takes the old heart which is dead and he replaces it with a holy heart which is given from above we are genuinely transformed and the holy nature of Christ dwells within us and with that comes a different direction in life a different motive a different purpose a different word a different um, initiation in our life where we're going what we're doing and why we're doing those things False wisdom has a motive, and the motive is jealousy and selfish ambition, which is the opposite of being saved. Our motive right now is unto Christ, that our lives will be Christ, right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. So if I get taken out by a heart attack, if I get taken out by cancer, get taken out by COVID-19, whatever it is, to live today is Christ. I'm going to live all my life unto Christ. And if I die, that's a gain. I'll be with him without all that stuff. So my ambition is different now. My ambition is in Christ, at least it should be, not bitter jealousy or selfish ambition. And so for those who have a false wisdom, the motive of that false wisdom is often jealousy and self-promotion ambition driven in self solomon says be sure to keep your heart with all vigilance because vigilance is needed because there comes this source of life from your heart he mentions two distinct motives that people have one is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition i can clearly see and you can too that the world is in desperate need of genuine wise leaders what we see right now is leadership in the world, in the country, in the state, maybe even locally, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition. Right now we have leaders in the country that are filled with jealousy and selfish ambition, and often you know that's the case because if somebody is not in their camp, then that somebody is automatically discounted, pushed away, pushed out of the picture because they don't fall in line with the ambition of the one who is leading their conduct is not lived as one who has wisdom from above there is no gentleness in them in fact it's quite the opposite and right now you're probably envisioning the people that are in your mind that you say oh that person doesn't seem to be very wise whether it's the president or the speaker of the house or the head of the senate or 
on this committee or that committee or leading in this way or that way we might automatically discount the wisdom of some people saying that appears to be biblically fake wisdom and we would be right but what the bible is clear about the bible expects sinners to sin james is not writing this letter to the u.s president or the minority leader or the speaker of the house or the u.s supreme court he's not writing to world leaders or state leaders or country leaders he's writing to the church and he's asking the church is your wisdom genuine is it from above is the motive clear you have selfish ambition bitter jealousy that is evident in your leading and in your influence in the church it's a good question to ask and i don't mind telling you it's caused me to take pause for the last few days and just ask god who is truth is every motive that i have pure from heaven and where it's not please god help me to root that out in the name of jesus help me to be repentant the second thing about fake wisdom it is has an ungodly source the source the strength behind it is ungodly in fact here's what he says it's three part he says fake wisdom is earthly it is unspiritual and it is demonic and that's a progressively worse characteristic every time isn't it to be earthly in our leadership means that we're seeing only and acting only in the sphere of the earth we're not thinking about above we're not thinking about the creator we're not thinking about the coming judgment we're only thinking about earthly measures and some wackadoodle stuff comes out of our mouths when we think in that way we say things like this well, live and let live not live and let live that's about as earthly as you get to assume that there's not a creator that all people are going to stand before one day just let them live and let it live and you let them live well that's crazy that's earthly or do all that you have to do to win win at all costs that's an earthly way of putting it isn't it there's no gentleness behind that there's no humility in that that's self-ambition and oftentimes bitter jealousy so that fake wisdom has a source and the elementary source is it's just earthly as my greek professor would say it's so common it's just common and we in the church are not meant to rule or to lead or to share wisdom and understanding based on what is common we're to think above that to have that wisdom that is from heaven it's unspiritual this is a fake wisdom it's unspiritual it doesn't think about the word of god it doesn't have a redeemed quality to it it doesn't ex express the the mind of christ because it's unspiritual and he even goes further and he says it's actually sourced from the demonic satan is sourcing this empowering this through the hordes of hell who then source that and propel that through the people who have fake wisdom and remember, this is actually speaking to people within the church. And if your wisdom is earthly, you're taking precepts and principles and logical practices from the world. You're taking business models and try to apply them into the church. That's just earthly. 
And when you're not doing things in a spiritual way, reading God's word, proclaiming his word, letting his word speak truth into you, then it just might be that you have a demonic empowerment in the words that you are sharing. The source can't be ungodly. Fake wisdom results in those things that are unholy. And look what he says. Here's the result of that. There will be disorder and every vile practice. Now, throughout the world today, we're seeing great disorder, aren't we? It's a state of confusion where there's a disruption of peace and a lawlessness of people. And we just keep pointing out there to what the world is doing. But again, James is writing this epistle not to the world. He's writing this epistle to the church. And he is asking, who among you is wise? Or if your motive is wrong, if it is that your source is wrong and the results are wrong, then it's going to be disruption and unholiness in the church. And you've seen that happen where the church fractures and it splits and is atypical of what God writes about in the scriptures. So what is true wisdom? We've identified now what fake wisdom is. What is true wisdom and how do we identify it? Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Well, true heaven first is sourced from heaven. True wisdom from heaven is sourced from heaven. He says it is from above. That which is right is from above. Now, God gives us wisdom when he saves us. So you might be thinking, well, I'm going to get wisdom when I get older. No, no, no. You have wisdom when you're saved. God gives you a new heart. God puts you into a relationship with wisdom, the person wisdom. And so you have wisdom when you are saved. And it will grow as you grow in your salvation, as you journey with Christ. So God gives divine wisdom to all who are in his church who are genuinely saved. The Bible says that Jesus became wisdom. Now, we often think about Jesus being righteous and sanctified and the Redeemer, and he is all those things. But God wants you to know not only is he righteous who gives righteousness, not only was he holy who makes us sanctified, but he is the redeemer who gives redemption to us and he is wisdom who gives wisdom to us. That being in relationship with Jesus is our righteousness and our sanctification and is our redemption and is our wisdom. So wisdom is not something that you're earning. It's not something that you're growing in, although that can be as you're growing in your relationship with Christ. Wisdom, first and foremost, is your relationship. The transformation of your heart and my heart and your mind and my mind unto Christ. God gives us wisdom with our salvation. We're grateful for that. And God gives us wisdom through the reading and the applying of his word. Remember, Jesus said it this way in Matthew. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. And remember the description? He builds his house on a rock, and when the rains come and the winds blow, the house remains. Why? Because he's received the word and he's built his life on the word. That makes him wise. But the foolish one who hears the word but does not do it, good conduct, 
that man is like one who builds his house on the sand the rains come the winds blow and the house crumbles right so it's receiving Christ and it's receiving his word and walking in it there's no wisdom apart from God and no one possesses genuine wisdom without salvation in Jesus Christ and the test of genuine salvation is that we have wisdom and it's evident in our life all right two more wisdom true wisdom includes the characteristics of God how about this wisdom is pure peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere now just what a test right there right because here's what James is asking who among you is wise well I think so and so is wise they seem to have it together I don't know here's what James says are they pure are they peaceable are they gentle are they open to reason full of mercy do they have good fruits in their life do you find them to be impartial are they sincere that's how you identify wisdom that's genuine wisdom it has the characteristics of christ now let me ask you how many of you want to work with somebody that has this these are the characteristics yeah i want to do that i want to be one of those co-workers how many of you have friends that are like this? Man, those are the people you want to hang out with the most, right? How many of you ought to be that for your family, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, whatever? This is where Christ wants to be, genuine wisdom, true wisdom from above, because it demonstrates the characteristics of God. True wisdom also sows peace, and it produces righteousness. So godly wisdom isn't for selfish gain. It's always contentious when it's selfish gaining but really wisdom is meant from god to be shared and demonstrated by a life of peace speaking truth and building each other up being being a, an affirmer of one another it's not arrogant or haughty it's gentle and it's peace and it's righteous it's a little characteristic this part of the scripture that i haven't quite grabbed hold of but i want to meditate on it more to have a greater understanding i'm thinking that what James is saying is wisdom is like the good soul and when this soul is planted in what is planted among wisdom is peace and as that peace starts to build up in your life it produces righteousness now what's cool about that that's not where it ends if you're a, a farmer a gardener you know that it's not just about today's harvest or even this season's harvest you're also thinking about next year and if you're one that likes heirloom plants you take some of the seed and you put it back to save for the next spring or the next fall when you plant and there's just this continuation of building up with more and more fruitfulness in a way i think james is saying true wisdom sows peace that produces a harvest of righteousness which feeds back into wisdom that sows more peace that produces more of a harvest of righteousness which goes back into more wisdom and it's just a building up of our life that's how if you're saved you can be more fruitful in your wisdom because over time there's more peace and there's more righteousness and there's more wisdom that just gets planted over and over again and hopefully will help others in your life as well all right as i'm drawing to an end Here's four steps that you can take to build wisdom in your life. The first is this, be saved in Christ. That's where it starts. 
Wisdom begins with Christ. Christ is wisdom. And if you want wisdom, then that means you ought to be saved in Jesus Christ. Here's what he'll do. He'll take the old you and he'll do away with that and bring the new nature, his nature, into you. He'll give you a new heart. So be new in Christ Jesus. To have Christ is to have salvation. Secondly, have a reverence for God. If you want wisdom, have a greater reverence for God. One of the things that I don't really care for modern Christianity today is the myopic way in which praise and worship is communicated. A lot of the songs that you hear on the radio, maybe even some that we struggle and sing here, it's very self-oriented. And really, worship should not include me, you, or I in it. Worship is meant to express reverence for God. That's why some of the greater hymns that come to your mind proclaim the awesomeness of God, the holiness of God. It has a real building of the reverence of God. And here's why, because Psalm 111 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So when you fear God, it brings you to right praise, and the right praise will bring more fear. And as you have that great reverence for God, just this awesome nature of God that is understood, you will have an increase in your wisdom. It's the beginning of that and the continuation of wisdom. Number three, to gain wisdom, Wisdom, we ought to read, learn, and apply the Bible. It ought to be an everyday activity for us, maybe even throughout the day, to read it, to learn it, and apply it. Uh, Psalm 119 is you know, the longest chapter in the Bible, and in it comes this, verses 97 through 100. Oh, how I love your law. Now, let me just point out along the way, the psalmist here is going to use various words for Scripture. It's four of them in this passage. Oh, how I love your law. That's a word for the scripture, his, God's word. It, uh, it is my meditation all the day. Your commandment, there's another word for the word of God. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. So what makes him wiser? The law of God, meditating on the law of God, the word of God, the command of God. It makes me wiser than my, my enemies for it. it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. How about that? For your testimonies, there's another word for the word of God. Your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Another word for the word of God. So what the psalmist is saying, wisdom comes as I'm in your word. It puts me at a wise place, and certainly that's the case for us as well. And then finally, if you want to be a wise person, be a person of prayer. Pray. Here's what James has already said. If you want wisdom, God will grant it to the one who asks for it. And the asking is the praying. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach. In other words, he's not going to point his finger and say, I can't believe that you want more wisdom, or I can't believe that you ain't got enough wisdom. He's not pointing out in reproach. Instead, he is being liberal with us. He's being generous to us. Ask him for it, and he will give it to you what about wisdom for you is anyone in here wisdom uh, wise any person in here with understanding james says it ought to be evident not in your words but in your conduct it ought to be evident 
in the way you live your life. He's asking us, are you authentic? Is it, is it evident? And if not, would you come to him in repentance and ask him for wisdom? I can tell you, Meadowbrook, we need to be full of wisdom. From kids to teenagers to senior adults, we need members filled with the wisdom of God. And this world needs the church to be full of wisdom and understanding. Maybe now, more than ever before, may each of us be wise and filled with understanding. So help us, Lord, I pray. As we take this test of authenticity, help us to be given to truth and to step into your mercy and grace. For some, that means they'll step into a relationship with you by your beckoning, by your call. They'll surrender their lives to you and begin to live unto you and for you, for your glory. And God, I'm so thankful for those days like that of salvation. For many of us, Lord, we may be living in this life in an earthly way, in an unspiritual way. And God, I pray that you would redirect us to be wise people from relationship with you in the counsel of your word, with the presence of your Holy Spirit. May we make a significant impact on the believers in this church and on the world around us. To the glory of King Jesus, I pray. Amen.